In the past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello and welcome to The Career Confidant. We're excited to have you here today and you, as usual, are going to be excited that you joined us because today we have a guest who is an expert in the trust-based philosophy. So Mark Gibbons is joining us here today and he has written at least five books that I've got, or six books that I've got the titles in front of me around leadership, selling, success, networking, and entrepreneurship, all focused on trust-based philosophy. And Mark, we're so excited that you're here to talk with us about this today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad, I'm sure glad to be with you. Yeah, so trust has become something that people are talking a lot about and I teach a personal branding course, and we've been talking about how to build trust with your brand for a few years now, because this is, of course, how we get out of being a commodity that that people are, are choosing based on price to something that people want to do business with us is that they trust we can deliver the value. And we're going to talk about many more things than that, but I was just excited when I saw your title, because this is something that we've been trying to help people understand from entrepreneurs to job seekers that if you want someone to invest in you, um, they have to trust you. So I'm excited to learn more about this today. So tell me a little bit more about the trust-based philosophy. Well, the, the Cliff Notes version would be that I have spent the bulk of my life involved with um, uh, people and mostly related to sales, but also in education, and uh, my wife and I have been married for 42 years, and we have children, five children and eight grandchildren, and what I discovered uh, pretty quickly was that uh, trust is not really just a concept. Trust, there's a science to trust, and, and if you have it, you can thrive. If people believe in you, they trust you, they, as, your, as it would be in your product that you were just talking about, if they, if they trust your product, then then you can thrive. But if they don't, when things, when trust crumbles, life comes crashing down, life and business. And so we've spent uh, nearly about four decades now researching and studying not just the concept of trust, but the science of trust, because there's clearly more to trust than just a simple common sense, we need it. There's there's more to it that will take us to the levels that we need to be to compete in a world of uh, relationships, leadership, sales, education, uh, medicine. I mean, in every, every, you know, gosh, if you think of a, a way that you can compete in the world, you need trust. So that's really what I uh, specialize in is helping people understand how to build, maintain, and create and, um, and repair trust. So you said science, which, um, interests me. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by the science of trust. I will. I um, Here's what we've discovered. There are many, many good books out there on trust. But 
but all of those books tend to focus on that concept that trust is needed. But what they don't focus on is what we've discovered are the four facets of trust. So, so there's really four separate um, uh, segments, we call them facets, that you have to focus on in order to really create the, the amount of trust that you want. So here's what they are very quickly. The, the first facet of trust is called the grand opening. We're, we're all told, and we all know that you only have one opportunity to make a first impression. Well, there's a science to how quickly that really happens, and then how do we elevate ourselves so we make our best first impression? It goes from the first facet to the second, then, which is the rapport-building stage. Once we meet somebody or once we're connected with somebody, do we want to uh, know more about them? So the rapport-building stage is about how we create a foundation so that we can move forward from there. So beyond just that meeting and greeting, so how do, how do we build some kind of rapport so people actually want to connect with us? Uh, it, it also applies to a product, right? And it also applies to a service. And then the third facet of trust is the maintenance facet, which is how do we then create relationships or trust so that people want to do business with us, be connected with us ongoing. So that could be in uh, personal relationships. It could be in a business relationship. It could be in a uh, in any kind of relationship where you want to have an ongoing uh, connection. And then the last facet of trust is the apology stage because we all make mistakes and so we have to repair that so that that fourth the science of the fourth facet is how do we correct the problem that we've created by uh putting ourselves in a position where we need to apologize and we all need to do that whether it's an individual or a company we don't always do things perfectly so at some point we're going to have to we're going to have to understand the science of an apology what to take to actually do that and how to do it right Right. It's so important to acknowledge that sometimes, like, in a good way, up front, that um, if, I don't know, I've worked with people before that kind of came across as I never make a mistake. I, um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, you almost lose, lose trust from the, from, for them right away because no one, you can't do that, right? Well, that's right. And you know what? We all know this. You can spend years uh, developing, maintaining trust, and then you can do something foolish. It could, it could just be a, you know, a, something you say, but, uh, it's something you say, something you do, a product that doesn't turn out as well as it should, should a service that is not up to, up to par. And, and if you don't go through the proper stages of, uh, an apology, so that what we call the science of an apology, the four steps of a proper apology, then what happens is people just turn away. They go someplace else. You know, that's why marriages crumble. That's why businesses, uh, products don't sell anymore. Or that's when there's a recall or when there's, gosh, there's stuff in the newspaper on the, on the news and the media every day about individuals or companies that have damaged and trust and politicians. If they don't do it right, if they don't do it through proper steps, it's very difficult to recover from that. In fact, Sometimes you don't recover. <laughs> so the a professional that I used to work with likened it to a balloon, and the air that you put okay. in the balloon really blows it up, and it takes a long time, right? It takes a lot of error. And then the mistakes are especially a um, intentional 
affront to that trust Bambi, would Bambi. be would be a, a dart in the balloon, right? That would pop it, and right away everything's gone in an instant, even though it took you a really long time to build it. Sure, sure. You know that's a nice analogy. You can you 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 can lose the air from the balloon, but if you if you blow it back up, if you build the trust back up, you're back in line. But if somebody pops it, that can really mess you up, and then you're you know. You, you may never be able to recover. Yeah. And he, you know, there's in, there's mistakes that happen. And as you're saying, that apology can help rebuild those. But if we intentionally break the trust, if we lie or deceive those types of things, we can pop the balloon altogether and then have a really hard time being able to blow it back up. So I love that for your four facets, the grand opening. What a great way to talk about the first impression Tell me a little bit about the, the grand opening and what goes into that. Sure. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that on the grand opening, we've all been taught the same thing, uh, at least in the United States. We've all been taught what's, what we call in the trust-based philosophy a two-step greeting, which is you're meeting somebody for the first time, you're maybe, at a, maybe in a networking event or a, some kind of social event or some kind of business event. Um, and you, you're meeting somebody or, or maybe a group of people for the first time. We have this two-step greeting that we've all been taught. It's just, hi, I'm. That's what we do. But what's interesting about that is that so often, and more often than not, when you do the two-step greeting, you end up having this conversation with this individual, but then you walk away and you can't even remember their name. And the reason that you can't remember their name is because your brain can't multitask. So the science of the grand opening says the two-step greeting really doesn't work. We need something better. So we have developed uh, something that we now call the three-step greeting, which is not difficult. It's, it's simple, but not simplistic, because when you've been doing it the other way your whole life, it's very difficult to change quickly to the three-step greeting. The three-step greeting is uh, a salutation. So it would be a, hello, it's nice to see you, anything you could say. But the key word in the salutation would be to include the word you. So a two-step greeting is all about me. It's about I. The three-step greeting begins with a you. And then the second part of the three-step greeting then is to say thank you. There's always something to, there's always a reason to thank somebody, always. If it's in a business, um, you know, if it's an appointment of some kind, you just say, hey, it's nice to meet you today. Sure, appreciate you seeing me. Thank you for allowing me your time. So it would be a you, you. So it would be directed at the other person, the other person, and then you would state your name. Now, there's a couple of benefits that comes from that. We've learned after practicing, practicing this and teaching this to thousands and thousands of people. Not only do you um, change the feeling of the introduction because it's now not about me using the word I, it's about the other person using the word you. And because you say three things instead of two, your brain is much more inclined to actually listen and hear. So there's an old Chinese proverb that says, listen with the intent to hear. In a two-step greeting, we actually are not listening at all. They say it. Our brain, our brain can kind of register on it. But the truth is, we're thinking about what we're going to say next. That's why we don't hear their name. That's why we can't remember their name. On a three-step greeting, because you have made it more about them, because you have three steps, you have this tendency to then actually listen, lock in and listen to what they say. 
then if you repeat their name back fairly quickly, you know, and tell them how nice it is to meet them, uh, what happens is you're, you're the percentage, the, the, you just remember a lot more names. <laughs> you just remember a lot more people and you don't, the, this whole, these, all these memory tricks, you, you don't, they're not tricks anymore. They just are easier to connect with people to, to, uh, to get it. And then the best benefit of all is that people really like you. They just really like the three-step greeting. It feels different to them because they're hearing the word you twice. I should add in very quickly as I finish this, this simple principle. Harvard did a study that they spent about 15 years on about influence. And what they discovered was that people formed that first impression in 50 milliseconds. So obviously, we want to make that first impression as quick and as and as comfortable and as warm and as trustworthy as we possibly can. So they see us, then we extend our hand, we say hello. We want to move ourselves from the basic two-step greeting to a three-step greeting. It really, really works, and it's a game-changer. Ooh, that's fun. I like it. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Mark about the trust-based philosophy and how you can use that to improve your networking, your job search, your sales, your leadership. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. Today we're talking with Mark Given and Mark, I think I put an S on the end of your name when I first introduced you. So if you're trying to look for him on LinkedIn or, or Twitter or Instagram, it's Mark Given without an S. So um, my apologies for that if I, if I slipped that in there. Exactly. We, were t- 
Yeah, we were talking about trust and meeting people and remembering their name and all of those kind of foundational pieces that go into any kind of relationship, whether it's job search, networking, leadership, sales. That's why I'm guessing that you've had all of this prolific writing on this subject is because this trust-based philosophy really is the underpinning to success in all of these different areas. So I, I love that this is something people can apply in all of these different ways. Um, so we do work with leaders sometimes that have a hard time taking responsibility for their mistakes. And what would you recommend someone does if they've made a mistake at work or, or maybe they've been let go of a mis- for a mistake? How do they handle that moving forward? Well, let's just go to that fourth facet, which is the um, the repair building stage or the apology stage. There's really four steps to a correct apology. Now, with that being said, of course, we cannot, there is no way we can force people to accept our apology. I mean, that's, you know, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it may never be repaired. But there's still a proper way for us to go through the process so that others can see that we are sincere about apologizing. So the, the first step to the apology is recognizing that we've done something wrong. You actually said that earlier at the very beginning of the broadcast, that sometimes it's very difficult for people to even accept that they do something wrong, right? And and that's not just, it doesn't have to be just an individual. It could be a company, right, or some organization. That, uh, it could be a politician. I mean, there's so there's so many there's so many areas in the world that we deal with that if you cannot accept the fact that you're not perfect and you're not willing to accept that you can make mistakes, it's going to be very difficult to create the, the levels of trust that you're wanting to build. So the first step is recognizing that you're not perfect and that you, in this particular instance, you have done something wrong. You said something wrong. You you know, it could be a product that uh, that has in some way harmed somebody. It, it might be something that you've done that has actually really uh, destroyed some some people's lives or their circumstances, right? Ch- changed their whole circumstances. So the first is to decide. The second thing, then, is to uh, admit that you've done something wrong. Now, of course, attorneys will caution their clients about the fact that if you admit, then you might be taking some additional liability or risk. But the truth is, people want to know the truth. When, you, uh, when you've made a mistake, they, they want to hear from you that, hey, we recognize that this is what we've done, and this is how it probably, you know, this is how we would feel if it happened to us, or this is what we believe uh, we've done and how it's harmed you. So we have to recognize that how it probably has harmed someone or something. Uh, some individual, some company, maybe the world in some cases. So, so the first step again is to recognize, admit that, uh, be willing to accept. The second is to admit that we actually did something wrong and how it's affected, uh, people or circumstances. Then the third thing is to rectify it. In other words, you, you actually would go to work fixing the problem. Um, it, it might include asking people, you know, what, what would be the proper way to fix it, right? Um, now, some people will be unreasonable in what they believe that has to be done to fix it. So you you can only do what you can reasonably do to correct the situation. So 
but you go to work to rectify the situation. If it's in a if it's in a relationship, obviously you'd go to work doing what you, what's necessary to make the to you know to make the relationship better again. And and so you do all the steps necessary to do that. And then the fourth step of the apology is just to uh, never do it again, right? Here's so we're just going to tell them we're just. Here's what we know we've done, and we're just not going to do it again when a company has a product, as an example, that has to be recalled. You know, obviously, they need to do the recall, but they but then they need to say, here's what we've done to fix it, and then we're not going to do that again. We're not going to make sure that these errors don't happen again. We recognize where the errors were, and we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. So it's really simple. It's not simplistic, but it's simple. Admit you did something, or recognize you did something wrong. Admit that you are responsible. Number three, then, is go to work correcting it. And then number four is make sure you never do it again. And you identify that you recognize the steps of where you went wrong so that you won't make that mistake again. Um, companies really get themselves into trouble when they won't admit, right? When they won't recognize, they won't admit. And then just even a delay. We live in a social media world now, so... When you're slow to respond, when when things are discovered, it's almost uh, accepted as an admission of you don't care. And many companies do care. They just can't be slow in responding. You have to respond, and you need to respond quickly. Oh, yeah, that's so tricky, isn't it? That then, as you said, the legal part of it comes in. And I remember doing a customer service training um, for a group of people years ago and talking about these four steps of the customer service was how we were talking about it then, but also uh, reflex and trust. And there wasn't so much talk about the legal ramifications. And now that's, of course, a huge thing of admitting guilt. And I think about some of the recent examples where companies made huge mistakes that cost hundreds of lives and they never did apologize. And you think, well, it's going to save you some legal ramifications. And the company I'm thinking about is so big that they probably won't face any real big backlash um, for what they did. But it's if you're a smaller company, you could go out of business because you don't admit what you do. And then yeah. the legal ramifications really don't matter. Well, we, and we live in a world now that... Um because of, uh, you know, we used to depend on the media to, uh, to um, inform us, but now individuals inform us. I mean, we have smartphones, so we can shoot a video of it right now and post it online. So what happens is that, um, you know, the company might be big enough to to recover financially, but, boy, the, the, the trust that they lose and the damage, the long-term damage, sometimes it can take years and years and years and years to recover if they can actually ever recover and recoup at all. So, and like you said, a small company, you know, you make a mistake and you, you may just be done, but that's no different even in a personal relationship, you know, whether it be a marriage or your significant other. When you do things that are just, just wrong, right, you may not be able to recover. So you need to go through the, the, the proper stages of an apology. So at least if you want to, right, if you're, if you have this desire to move forward, um, to either stay in business or keep the relationship, you, th- those four steps really work. They really, really work. And so it's it's just a matter of doing it the right way to give ourselves an opportunity to rebound, to recover, and to, to move forward and move on. 
So we just have a few minutes left, and um, one of your books, The Trust-Based Success, Ways to Stop Stressing and Start Living. I'm wondering if you could give me top two or three tips from that, since it seems to apply to many different types of, of listeners who might be listening today. Yeah, sure. That book was not really designed for business at all. I'm, we we spend uh, a lot of time in our life, um, you know, I, I hate to say unhappy, but maybe not content. And uh, what we what we have found as we've studied trust is that we we need to trust in ourselves. And so the way we build trust within ourselves, and so that we can carry that on into the world with some kind of confidence that we can be loved, that we can love and be loved is that it's just having the right habits, right, to create the right habits. And it's not about, you know, it's, it's not a weight loss thought. It's nothing like that. It's just having good, strong mental attitudes and habits that would keep us moving forward in a positive way. There are just so many negative things, and the world surrounds us with negativity. So the trust-based success, proven ways to stop stressing and start living, is not a psychology book. It's just it's 26 proven ways to keep your life moving in the right direction so that you can um, you can find what you're really seeking. So we won't leave here with, with, we can leave life with as few regrets as possible. So it's about creating the life and the kind of success that we want that's defined within ourselves, not what the world calls success, but what we believe internally is success. Because what you believe is success is probably different than what I really believe is success. So that book is about creating the kind of life that we want and living a life of trust so that we can, again, so that we can love and be loved. Um, one of the most important things that we can probably do in our life. Yeah. So 26 secrets in there. You want to give us a couple of them? Uh, I don't know. You know, did you, uh, have you even had a chance to see any of them at all or, you want me to grab a book and grab one real quick and, and just kind of shout it out? I can. Um, let me give you. Let me give you a secret right here. So um, uh, I've got it. Like in uh, proven way number twelve is the, the beauty and signature strength. And um, here's a quote I put in there that I wrote. It's a Mark Givenism. Success is achieved through developing signature strengths, not by focusing your efforts on eliminating weaknesses. So often what we do to create the success we want is we go charging after all the weaknesses that we've got so that we can be better at those. And there's nothing wrong with looking at weaknesses so we can be better because we absolutely should. But the truth is, if we would take the, the, uh, the strengths that we've got and keep building on those, we just get, we can be better and better and better. It's not about competing in the world. It's about being the best person we can be. It's so easy to focus on all the things where we don't uh, meet up, uh, you know, we don't match up. There's some people better, smarter, stronger. They look better, you know. But so that the thought on that is that signature strengths are what make us unique, and that's what makes us special. And when we understand those, focus on those, we build trust within ourselves, and we we build trust with those that that surround us. Um, I'll tell you one more proven way number seventeen. Is about success leaves clues, and that's true too. I mean, all you've got to do when you when you've got things that you want to improve, whether it be a weakness or a strength, all you got to do is look around you. There's always people that are that are um, uh, that that have qualities that we don't have, 
and that those those success habits that they have uh, leave clues. So, and and for the most part, you know, they, it wasn't something they were born with. They had to learn how to do it. So that means if they can learn how to do it, we can learn how to do it. And um, so success does leave clues. All we got to do is look at the clues, pick up the breadcrumbs, and we can go to work improving our own lives. And when we do that, we'll help reduce some stress. Very good. Thank you for sharing those. Well, we are at the end of our time together. So tell people how they can find you, connect with you, and follow you to get more of this great wisdom that you're sharing. Well, thank you. I wish they would. You can always go to my website at markgiven.com. So that's M-A-R-K-G-I-V-E-N.com. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and all of my social media sites, whether it be Facebook or LinkedIn. There, we don't really uh, key everything through the the trust based philosophy. We just do it because I'm the founder of it through Mark Given. So we'd lo- I'd love for them to go to my website, and take a look, maybe even sign up for my weekly one minute message. It's called Mark's Minute. It's read by thousands of people all over the world every Wednesday and throughout uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays, and so. Love for them to sign up for that. That's, of course, there's no cost to that. We're not selling anything. So, um, so just connect with us. If there's any way we could help, if there's a company organization that I could help, uh, my phone number's on there. So I'd love for them to, uh, to connect. And my email is not hard. It's mark at markgiven.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing here today, Mark. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we're going to say goodbye to Mark now. But I will be back in just a few minutes to add some more color to this conversation and take it a little deeper. So thank you so much, Mark. And we'll be right back here on The Career Confidant. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career you can have the foresight skills and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities a strategic advantage and career expert marie Simonoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused get found and get hired Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. 
If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we're talking with Mark Gibbon about trust-based philosophy and how you can use trust to improve really many things in your life, right? It's, it's relationships. Relationships are how we build trust, and relationships are the foundation for our success, whether that's career success, life success, love success, um, as a leader, as an entrepreneur in sales. And as I said at the very beginning of the show, this is one of the reasons that we've been talking about trust and the trust equation in our personal branding class because if anyone is going to go out and build a personal brand, a big part of that personal brand, especially today, is building a brand that people can trust. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you can read the trust-based equation and the facets of trust in a lot of different ways. And Mark shared some new ways of thinking about that trust equation and really looking at um, that there is a science behind trust. So Mark was sharing that in the first few minutes, we form our, our opinion about people. I always think it's funny when I see people arguing about data, you know, should we believe this data? There was some data that showed first impressions happened really quickly and people are questioning it. Do, do we have to know the exact seconds to really understand the concept? No, we do form first impressions about people very quickly. And there's psychology research that also shows that once we form that opinion, it's really hard for us to change it. So when we form an opinion of someone and, and it's kind of cemented, right? We, we don't like to change our mind. That first impression becomes even more important. And Mark talked about that as the grand opening, which I love what a, a new way to think about this first impression as a grand opening and the way that we meet people, it's oftentimes a lot about us. And this plagues job searchers, nearly everyone I've met, because they're so in the trenches of, I have to find a job, and the way for me to find a job is for people to know who I am and what I wanna do. Not necessarily, it's a very me, me, me focus, and when I'm all focused on me, then people are less likely to listen. And if no one's listening, then no one's going to know anything about you, even if you've got your elevator pitch down pat. So we started moving away from an elevator pitch for this exact reason, that people don't want to be pitched. People want to connect. They want to know who you are, yes, but they want to feel like you care about them. And this idea, of course, being the premise of a lot of books, including Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, that people are most interested in you if you are interested in them. So his approach that when I meet someone, I'm going to say, it's nice to meet you. Thank you for taking the time. And two of my first statements are going to have you in them. And then my name is or whatever is appropriate for that introduction. This carries over, so I was just working with a professional writer on their cover letters, and the first line of a cover letter 
in years past would say, I'm applying for your position in X to use my skills in X or because I'm passionate about X and it's all about me, right? Me, me, me. That doesn't work. Nobody wants to read that letter. We've got to start with the connection. I've read that your company is, or I read your mission is something that shows I know something about the company and I'm really excited because of them and who they are and what this position is. And then I can work in how I connect to it, what my passion is, how it, how it ties into whatever it is that I'm excited about because of them makes it much easier for that person to read. And they're going to like me when they read that first. So how does this come about in our networking? Obviously at the introduction, but it can't just stop there. So if my introduction, I use this formula of thank you, thank you, me, and then talk about me too much, it's going to erode itself, right? That balance of listening and asking good questions and yes, sharing a little bit about yourself. It's off-putting to people if all you do is ask questions and, and make it really one-sided. Um, people might talk for a while and then they start to feel uncomfortable like, whoa, why am I not learning anything about you? There's no connection there. And that's the intimacy part of the trust equation um, as well is that it has to feel connected. I have to hear about you as well as, as sharing about me as an introvert. When I reframed networking in this format, it really helped me because it wasn't about me and how comfortable I was talking about myself. I didn't have to work on that of course, and be able to quickly and, and succinctly talk about myself, but it was more about, truly being interested in that other person and asking great questions and making them feel like they are the object of my focus. This is the idea of charisma. Um, we like to think of charisma as something natural and people just have it or they don't. And although there might be some of that that's true, you can improve your charisma, improve your presence simply by being able to make people feel that way, that you're focused on them, that you're interested in them. It has nothing to do with what you say. Well, not nothing perhaps, but less to do with what you say and more to do with how you make them feel about themselves. And that is, as some of the cliches would say, right? That's really your brand is how people feel after they've met with you and talked with you? Do they feel like they need to go wash their hands or take a shower because you just slimed all of your salesy sliminess over them? Or do they feel like, hey, that person was really interested in me? I don't do this very often, but right now I'm actually working on a client project, a job seeker project for a salesperson, common client type in the resume writing and career coaching world because salespeople know that Someone else is going to be better able to sell them than themselves most of the time. And so working with this person is very interesting because one of the things that people consistently say about them as a salesperson is that they are not all about themselves. I got the opportunity to talk to one of these, one of their recommenders, one of their former bosses, 
And this former boss said, you know, a lot of young salespeople go in and they tell the customer that, hey, if you buy, I, I win my next prize or I get my next level and I'll give you a discount if you buy today because it'll help me win this trip. I had, I would never even think about doing that. But when I reframe it, I can see that, oh, maybe I've actually come across with that approach occasionally. Wouldn't have seen it that way, maybe. And that this person, my client, goes into every situation and really asks the the customer, what do you need? What are your problems? What are your pains? How can I help? It doesn't sound like rocket science, that that's how you would sell better, to go into your customer or client and ask them, what do they need? What are their pains? How can you help? But oftentimes we don't do that because we are focused on us, because we are in pain ourselves. As a job seeker, we're worried about getting a job. As an entrepreneur, we're worried about getting a client or making a sale. And with that need for us, getting a job, making a sale, whatever it might be, gets in the way of us being customer, client-focused, we lose the trust. It's really hard to build trust when the beginning of the relationship is focused on me getting what I need or want instead of me focusing on what you need and how I can help you. And it can't be surface. It has to be real. I have to really be worried about can I help you or not, which means that I have to admit when I'm not the best person to help you and be willing to give that referral or make that connection and lose the business because my real concern is you getting what you need, not me getting what I need. As a job seeker, this can be challenging because that means you're going to go into an interview and you're really trying to discern, am I the best candidate for this position for the company? And is this the company the best for me? Not just, hey, I want to win this job. Um, sometimes our competitiveness can get in the way when we're too focused on winning and not really thinking about, am I the solution to this customer, jobs, employer, pain, and how can I can I decide that? How can I figure that out? What questions are going to best help me figure that out? And then, of course, is this the right company for me? And what questions are best to help me figure that out? Same for sales. Why salespeople often have an easier time interviewing if they can flip the script and really think about it this way, that it's your job to be there in a sales meeting and figure out the pain of this person and are you the solution or not? And if so, offer how you are the solution. And if not, be able to admit it and say this isn't a good fit. Maybe I have a colleague that would be a better fit, etc. That's trust. That's how you build trust is to have that level of, of transparency and to have that intent. And most of the entrepreneurs that I've talked to, salespeople that I've talked to, you almost have to reset that intent every time you meet with someone because we do need to be focused on our needs, right? We have to pay the bills. We have to do all that. And that can get in the way if we're not consciously thinking about being what my Sandler sales trainer would call other centered, really being focused on that other person. That's a conscious decision that we have to make every time we have a conversation. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, wrap this up, tie it with a bow for you and give you some takeaways and action steps that you can take to operate more on this trust-based philosophy. We'll be right back in just a few minutes.
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we've been talking about trust and the idea of trust being this critical component for us to build relationships, to be a good leader, to be a good entrepreneur, to sell. Um, Mark Gibbon was talking about how it's the foundation for our success. Um, I've, I've told this story, but it's been a while. I was working with a coaching client who was a leader within an organization, and they struggled with trust. And the idea was kind of this black and white thinking fallacy, if you will, that we can all fall into sometimes. It's one of the main types of false thinking in the psychological world, black and white, that if I trust people, I'll be gullible. If I trust people, I'll be vulnerable to them making a fool out of me. And as a leader, that can be a hard place to be because I feel like, oh, if I trust my team, they're going to fail just to make me look bad. And sometimes that might be true, right? And in this person's world that uh, had proven to be true for them. And so they were very hesitant to trust their team. The challenge with that is that when we don't trust, then we consistently have this undercurrent of, hey, I don't trust you, which then means that that team isn't going to trust each other. They're not going to trust us, which means that nothing is being done efficiently ever, right? Everybody's questioning everybody else. Everybody's looking for ways to poke holes at everybody else. Everybody's micromanaging everyone else because we don't trust each other. And so someone has to take the leap. Someone has to be the first and as a good leader, that may be us. 
to take the leap, to be that person that trusts. You hear about this in romantic relationships as well, right? You know, to be, to move forward in that romantic relationship, someone has to trust. And then when somebody breaks that trust, as Mark was talking about the repair process, if someone goes through that apology, then does the, the partner that was wronged accept that and trust again? If not, the relationship can't move forward. And this happens in the workplace all the time, maybe in a smaller scale, but eventually it ramps itself up to the same problem that when people don't trust each other, we're not moving forward, we're not doing anything differently. Well, or doing things inefficiently or not getting anything done because we don't trust each other to do those things. And when we've fallen down, when we've fallen out of trust, when we've made a mistake, how do we build that back up? And that part of this piece is not fun, right? It takes a long time to build trust. As I was talking about the analogy of blowing up that balloon we have to do a lot of things right. And this is kind of where the parallels to branding come back in is that when we want to build a good reputation, we have to do things right. We have to have a lot of people saying good things about us. And unfortunately, then many times that reputation is easily broken just as the trust can be easily broken in comparison. And we have to build it back up. But when we don't admit it and we don't say what we did wrong and most importantly, don't not do it again, then we have a hard time building that trust back up. I'm reminded as, as uh, Mark was telling his story is reminded of, I have two sons. They're three and, and one, three and a half and one and a half. So you can imagine that a lot of my life is the three and a half year old doing things to the one and a half year old that aren't nice or appropriate many times because it's an accident but just because it's accidental doesn't mean it doesn't hurt the relationship right when someone gets hurt even if it was an accident we're talking about how do you make that better and there's a lot of articles that say oh don't make your kid apologize because i've learned about this trust piece i have a hard time with that i want my older son to learn how to apologize it's not just i'm sorry right it's this part of he recognizes he did something wrong. He admits that he did something wrong. And then he says, I won't do that again. So we have him go through this process every time he hits his little brother <laughs> or hurts him on accident. I'm sorry, brother. It didn't, you know, it's not right to kick you or whatever happened. And I won't do it again. Now, does that obviously mean that we don't make a mistake again. No, but it's that process of learning that it's okay to admit that we did something wrong and that the follow-up piece on that has to be putting in a, a true effort to not do it again. As a leader, that's probably one of the most influential, vulnerable, effective things that we can do as a leader is to go through this process when we make a mistake. To say, I made a mistake, I see that it hurt you, 
I, I won't do it again. And these are the steps that are being put into place to make sure it doesn't happen again. And then we have to follow through on that. And then be ready to do it again when we make a mistake again, because it's, we're all human and it's, it's going to happen. When we do that as a leader, as a parent, as a spouse, that's perhaps the, the best opportunity to build trust because there's really a conversation of vulnerability that's happening between two people or between a company and their audience. Same could apply. I think about the Domino's final example. So Domino's Pizza, eh, two or three years ago, did this commercial about how horrible their pizza was, that they had done research and they had found that people hated their pizza. These are the ways that they'd fixed it. It was a smashing success. People said, yes, I'll go try your pizza because you're telling me specifically how you fixed it. And a lot of people liked it now, right? And it worked. Wells Fargo tried to do the same thing when they had their financial crisis of 2018. And for some reason, it just really didn't work. I think one of their new taglines was established 2018. Like we're a new organization. We're doing things differently. But it didn't really admit how much they had hurt people. It kind of glossed over that part. And so it didn't work because it says, oh, we're new and we're not going to hurt you now. But it never really admitted the guilt and pain that had been caused. So it skipped maybe two, maybe even three of the steps that Mark was talking about that go into this apology. So as you're thinking about trust and thinking about it in all the facets of your life, it's kind of nice because we can practice it in all the facets of our life and have an impact in our happiness, our leadership, our success, and our career. We'll be back again next week here on The Career Confidant. And again, if you have content that you think we should share, guests that we should interview, please reach out to me at marie, M-A-R-I-E, at careerthoughtleaders.com. And we look forward to seeing you right back here again next week on The Career Confidant. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.